Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And we are very happy to be joined in studio for the 12 o'clock hour by Katie Wu of The Athletic. You can follow her on Twitter. She's at Katie J. Wu. Katie, how are you doing today? Guys, I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, happy Monday or maybe not a happy Monday, depending yeah. on how you feel about this weekend. But uh, I will say this. I was not expecting to talk off-season ball today on October 10th. I thought we were going to have to move your uh, your hit. Like we've been doing the last couple of weeks because you'd be heading down to Atlanta today. Unfortunately, that is not the way that things went. And if people want to get any questions in for Katie Wu, they can do that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Get them in there. We will ask her those questions coming up at 1245. Uh, Let's start with the obvious. Our text line is very mad today at Ollie Marmol. Okay. I can see that. I want to start with this. I think Ollie Marmol is a really good manager. And I think from start to finish this year, he in so many different ways changed the way that the Cardinals played baseball for the better. And I think he had a bad moment in the ninth. And I am criticizing him for something that nobody else in St. Louis will, which is against the lefty, Yadier Molina in the seventh inning, you should be going to Carlson in that spot when you got one on in two outs and you're down by two runs on Saturday. Those were the two things that I had an issue with. Not taking Helsley out quick enough and leaning on Yadi in the seventh inning there. What did you see from Ollie in game one and two? What do you think is fair criticism? What do you think is going a bridge too far for him? These are good questions, BK, and I think you make a good point that I actually really agree with with how Ollie managed in the regular season. We saw 162 games of managing that was different from what we've come to expect from the Cardinals franchise. It was... For the most part, there was always a a justification and numbers to back up the decision, and Ollie was always available to explain that decision, even if it didn't make sense at the time. The reasoning, the sound, like there was always sound, and there was always a strategy in place. That was the same thing in game one, and I think while hindsight is always twenty twenty, I think the fair criticism of, is of course how the ninth inning was handled. Up until that, I thought we saw the game managed exactly how we saw 162 managed before. I mean, if you've watched Cardinals baseball, you know when Jose Quintana is coming out for the sixth, he's getting a lefty, he's getting Schwarber, and he's getting out of there. You know when you look at those guys coming up in Hoskins and Realmuto, that's Jordan Hicks' spot. That's been Hicks' spot almost all year long, except when he was injured, of course. So you know, okay, Quintana's out for this guy. The lefty is his guy, and he's done. Regardless of how well he was doing, regardless of his overall success, Cardinals had five starters for a reason. They were going to embrace the piggyback for a reason. What that piggyback happened to be going to Hicks and Gallegos in the middle or to late innings. So I understand uh, the old school thought of making your starter go the distance. I certainly thought Quintana looked crisp. But if you've watched Cardinals baseball at all this season, you know, okay, regardless of how Quintana is going, he's out after Schwarber. And you can make the argument, of course, that that was the wrong time that they pulled him too early. But what happens, BK, if you leave Quintana in and all of a sudden Hoskins, Romita go back-to-back singles, then you have Bryce Harper up, 
then you're in a bind. I think it's different if it's five to nothing in that spot too. Right. Like if it's five to nothing, maybe you push it a little bit to see, okay, he looks good. We trust this guy. We'll go batter to batter here and see where maybe if a guy gets on, that's when we'll pull him. Two to nothing, man, that game can get out, as we saw, it can get away from you quickly. So I, I actually agreed with the decision to I take Quintana out in that spot. You're playing the splits and people get mad. And No, this isn't analytics. It's, hey, this is a left-handed pitcher that's on the mound going up against right-handed hitters that destroy lefties more often than not. He's done his job twice through the order. The third time through, these are two guys that dominate opposing starters the third time through. Go get your guy that's been in this spot all season long. I thought that was totally reasonable, and I thought it was the correct decision. And if it didn't go poorly in the ninth inning, I think we'd be talking here today, different roundabout uh, way to go. And I think we'd be saying Ollie managed that the correct way uh, on Friday, and he helped them win game number one. Unfortunately, then we got to the ninth. Yeah, exactly. I think we'd be sitting here talking about, oh, Jordan Hicks and Giovanni Gallegos were electric. They did exactly what they were supposed to do in those late innings, and uh, they did. And then, like you said, BK, we get to the ninth. And look, when you get when you look at Helsley and how he came in, in the eighth, that looked like textbook Helsley, high velo, nasty wipeout slider. Guys, look, he looked unhittable. I think that there is an argument to be made on why Helsley stayed in. I also think there's plenty of reasons why he shouldn't. So when you're looking at why Helsley was brought in, gets out, gets that strikeout to start the inning at Hoskins. You're feeling good. You're feeling really good. Cardinals would have an emphatic 2-0 victory. Juan Yepes, the star. My Juan Yepes lead will never see the light of day. And let me tell you, boys, it was a good one. <laughs> and, uh, and you look, and all of a sudden, there's a lack of command. But when you look at the velocity and the radar gun, it's the same. When you're dealing with an injured pitcher, the first thing that you look for is velocity dropping. That's a major red flag. When you don't see that, then you as a manager, you're stuck with a really tough decision of, is this guy losing his command because he's hurt because of that prior minor injury? Or did he just lose his command? And how much trust did he earn throughout the regular season to warrant figuring it out on his own? Helsley said he was good to go. Always built a foundation on trust. I'm not saying that's the right decision. Obviously, it turned out being the wrong one. But Ollie at that time made the moment or made the decision in the moment to extend and give Helsley a longer leash. Now, we can make the argument, and here's where I agree, that he should have had someone ready after the second walk. You have a stacked bullpen for this reason. You stacked your starters in there for a reason. You have Steven Matz in there for a reason. I understand wanting to give Helsley a chance to get out of his own jam because he's earned that opportunity. But in hindsight, again, 2020, when you're looking at a guy who came out with an injury less than a week ago, after that second walk, someone has got to be coming through those gates. And that's where I am too. Is I, I, I think with him having the finger injury and the two walks is where everybody, someone needs to be up. And I understand the trust factors there too. And I get that from Ollie Marble. And I think you use that in the regular season. I think in the postseason, it's such a short leash that at that point, you have to have somebody ready to go. And in my opinion, that's where you have to go pull somebody. And to your point on the Jordan Hicks thing at BK, I mean, you're talking about Ollie being the X factor that we thought he would be if they end up winning that game because he ends up pulling Quintana and Hicks goes through those two guys that were right-handed and you get out of that inning. But because that ninth inning goes awry and he makes the one mistake, and again, I, I've circled that inning as being the inning that sealed that series, in my opinion, that's when the things all of a sudden everything just turns on Ali Marmol as being this manager that can't handle the big spot. And look, I, I agree. I think he should have gone to the bullpen. But I, I think other than that, it was his one mistake, and that was it in this whole postseason series. I understand the argument of pinch hitting for Yadier Molina in but last no, night's like game. Most man, first of all, most managers don't do what I'm saying there. Exactly. The, the reason why I had a problem with it for this manager is because all season long he talked about how, and he, he played up to this. Like this was, they, they followed it 
more often than not, said performance is going to dictate decisions. And he said, we're going to play the matchups. And in a huge spot with your season on the line, performance didn't dictate the match or the decision and the matchups didn't factor in. It was a, we trust Yachty. And I get that. Like Yachty has a almost 20 year career of coming through in the clutch in this city. Unfortunately, he had gone almost two weeks since his last base hit. And against left against lefties in particular, you had a guy on the bench in that spot who started the previous day who's really good against left-handed pitching. We can say whatever we want to about Dylan Carlson, but Carlson has been awesome this year. He's batting 300 with an 850 OPS in that spot. It's 250 points better than Yachty. That's why I would have gone to him there. I understand that most managers don't make that call, though. So I'm not I'm not sitting here today and crushing him for that. How much, though, do you think Yachty, or not Yachty, how much do you think Ollie played into the Cardinals losing this series? Like, how, how much blame is fair for him because I think some of it has gone overboard. I think Ollie had a bad moment in the ninth. There were another 17 innings that were played over the weekend, though, and I, I think more often than not, he pressed the right buttons. I think if the Cardinals were able to, to finish that ninth accordingly, we'd be talking about how brilliant, brilliantly managed that game was, but this is baseball. Sure. Because they fell apart, we're talking about what I think the, his biggest mistake was, of course, not having someone ready after the second walk in the ninth. But the sound reasoning in bringing in Palante over Jack, you want the ground ball guy against Segura, the defensive positioning, though it didn't work out, those were all reasonable expectations and a reasonable strategy in place. I mean, Palante did exactly what he was supposed to do three times in a row in that ninth inning and three different gold glove infielders did not make a play. So I don't know how much you can point. I don't think you can put anything on Palante really. I don't know how much you can point on Ollie. The strategy was there. It really comes down to the team not performing up to expectations. I mean, Goldschmidt didn't hardly did anything in this series. Uh, Nolan hit the ball hard, but what does he have to show for it? One base hit in the ninth in a game that they lost. So, and then of course, two defensive miscues in game one by both of them. For me, I think it's fair to question Ollie as, not having someone ready to go in the ninth after the second walk with the bases loaded. And I think if he was going to do it all again, that's the one thing he might change differently was, okay, maybe we have Palante ready to go then. Maybe they have Mats, anybody really. Like I said, they had a ton of relievers in that bullpen. I think you've got to go to a righty because Bohm crushes lefties in that spot. Like if you were going to make the switch for Bohm, I think you have to go to a righty in that spot. And I probably would have gone to Palante to try to get that double play ball. I think it was the right decision to go to him. The problem was it was a batter, was too, batter late. too late, and then you had the infield in, and this is the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because that is something that I, I don't think in the moment probably got as much attention as it should have, was it's not just, okay, who are you going to and when are you going to them? It's also when they come in, what is the defense doing to be able to uh, make the most of who this pitcher is? Palante's a ground ball guy. You're going to him in that spot to be able to get you a double play ball, and they're not playing a double play depth. In the moment, what was your feel for that decision? And then after you heard the explanation, did your feeling change at all? I didn't understand it at all. If you recall, BK, I think I turned around and I said, what? Along with a couple of other words where I would just didn't understand yeah. what was going on. And, you know, that's what I that's when you ask the questions. I, I talked to Ollie and I want to give him his credit here. Not only did he answer the questions on the podium and I still didn't understand the reasoning. He went back into his office and talked with me through it again. Like, here is why we did this. And the argument really was with Segura and his sprint speed, it takes the perfect ball to turn a double play there. So you play half and half. You play half in where if it's a weak contact ground ball, maybe you can turn to, probably not because of Segura's speed. But Segura's you're not in. as fast as we're giving him credit for, by the way. That's, that's my other argument. Like, yeah, he's fast, but he's not he's like... He's like Brendan Donovan speed. Yeah, he's not like, what's that's, the that's Incredibles fine. guy 
Frozone, whatever. Yeah, he's not that. Okay. Um, and, but, you know, if he's playing relatively deep, maybe he can turn it. But on hard contact, he's going home. It happened where it was just a very, a ball that was, I don't even know how Segura made contact with that yeah. ball. It was not in the strike zone at all. We had the uh, number earlier. There's been 7,500 pitches at that spot or further away. And three of them have been hits. That's very, three. very unfortunate stuff. Yeah, not great. Cardinals fans, I, I feel you for that one. Uh, I, I Look, I get the reasoning. Like there, It wasn't like there was no strategy in place. I understand the reasoning. I may not agree with it at the time, but there was facts, like numbers that they were going off of. It sucks because it didn't work out. If it, Obviously, if it was the other way around, I think we'd be talking about completely different things. But because it didn't work out, we're scrutinizing every single thing. Again, the only thing I can really not get past is not having someone ready after those two walks, but everything else, there was justification for it. It didn't work out. Yeah, and that's where I am too. Is like I, the part that Ollie did he not have the guy ready? Yeah, I think that's the only thing that I can circle in terms of where did Ollie go wrong in this series. The rest of it, just in my opinion, was your guys didn't end up playing to the level that you expect them to. Like Tommy Emmett, I get it. If he makes that play, it's probably not a double play to get you out of that inning, but you at least get an out. And then I, I said I, I disagreed with the decision from Goldschmidt to go home on that play, but that's a tough 50-50 in the moment. Got to make a decision, and he decides to go home. They don't get out of the inning, and then offensively your guys don't show up. So like, I, if you're going to blame anybody, it should be the guys that were on the field, not the guy in the dugout that was pulling all the strings. I thought he did everything right, except for not having the guy up in the bullpen at the right, at the right time. And that's a big yeah, but... It but is big, it is yeah. it is one moment as opposed to the course of the entirety of the two games. You mentioned the offense. And Let's get to it. We'll get to that on the other side. What happened to the offense? And is this now becoming a trend for the Cardinals in the playoffs that is fair to criticize them for? And if so, what do they do to fix it? We'll talk about that with Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She's joining us here for the 12 o'clock hour on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Swing and a miss. What a performance by Aaron Nola. Six strikeouts on the night. He has thrown up six zeros and allowed just three hits. So we got to talk about this Cardinals offense. Is this a trend or is this just something that's fluky? The Cardinals are one and nine in their last 10 playoff games. They have been outscored in those 10 games by a combined score of 53 to 23. They have scored one or zero runs in six of those 10 games. They have only scored more than four runs once in that stretch. They are batting 183 in those 10 games with a OPS below 600. Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic, is joining us here in studio for the hour. If you guys have any questions, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get them in. We will get to those coming up in about 30 minutes. So the offense, Katie. So I will allow offense. you to take it from there. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what to say other than I thought this play in game two, the sequence of events perfectly encapsulated what we saw from the Cardinals offense. You have one out in the bottom of the eighth and a their Cardinals are trailing to nothing at this time. And you have Lars Newbar getting on. You have Albert Pujols getting on. You have Goldschmidt and Arenado coming up to the plate in a, the most pivotal spot. You have a chance to save your season with your best two bats on the line. And they both struck out. And that's when I, I think that moment, especially after Arenado's, because after Goldschmidt struck out, I, there was just kind of this impending sense of doom that Arenado was going to yep. do the same thing. Uh, for me, that is what really captures the overall 
offensive performance of the Cardinals. I mean, two guys really showed up. Credit to Juan Yepes, played two incredible games. That pinch hit home run is something that we should be, as a fan base, talking about so much more, but it's going to be lost in the overall disappointment. Came out, hit well. He was in the game. Game two started for offense. Did that. Uh, Lars Newpar singled in both games, walked in both games as the leadoff hitter. Never scored. Uh, that's very alarming when you have a leadoff hitter that's doing his job and no one brings him in, especially when you have a 2-3-4 of Albert Goldschmidt Arenado. But I think that there's an argument to be made for putting Albert second. And I'll be the first to say I loved the lineup for game one. I thought it was perfect. I really liked the idea of having Albert batting ahead of Goldschmidt Arenado because if they don't pitch to Albert, they have to pitch to Goldschmidt. They have to pitch to Arenado. Turns out that they didn't really, opposing pitchers didn't really feel like they had to do that because Goldschmidt Arenado went so desperately cold. I think for game two, when you need to score to stay alive, you can have as your pitching be as fantastic as, as you want. I mean, the piggyback with Michaelis and Montgomery went exactly according to plan. doesn't matter if you don't score. So I think if you were, in, again, hindsight 2020, if you're redoing the lineup for game two, there's an argument to be made to stack the leadoff hitters, the guys that get on base, maybe go Newbar, Donovan, one and two, Goldschmidt three, Arnado five, or four, Albert five, because then you have, when someone gets on base, you have a guy that can move him over. So let's replay the bottom of the first against Nola. I thought it was really pivotal for the Cardinals to come out game two and immediately establish momentum. So when Newbar hammered out that single and advanced a second on the air, I thought to myself, well, this is exactly what this team needs. Newbar's fired up at second base. They have a, a chance to strike first and reestablish momentum. You can see Albert in that at bat shorten up his swing because he's now batting as the two hitter. His job is to get the batter over or the runner over struck out. I think if you have Donovan up there, it completely changes how you approach that top of the first. It completely changes how your lineup is approached. Again, I loved it for game one when you want to establish something for game two when you're playing for your life, when you're playing for your season. I think you go back to what worked for most of the regular season. I also think if you're, if you're going into that spot in game two and you've made the switch defensively, where now Yepes is in the outfield and you no longer have that pinch hitter to deploy later in the game, we saw they almost trapped the Phillies into a pinch hit opportunity for the Cardinals, mm-hmm. where Juan Yepes comes in in the big spot and ended up working out perfectly. Well, you now no longer have that guy. And they basically confirmed by the way that they utilized their bench in game two that they were going to deploy their pinch hitters the same way that they did in the game one because Juan Yepes wasn't available to them in game number two off of the bench. So I think that changes some things as well. That being said, like if I told you going in, Katie, that you're going to be down by two runs and in the sixth and the eighth inning, you are going to have an opportunity with a runner on and less than two outs for Goldie and Arenado in both innings, you would have been like, okay, I think they at least come up with something in, in one of those two innings. Half because a run, perhaps? Like one half of a run. They got something. nothing. They got nothing. In the sixth inning, you've got Pujols on first, and Goldie comes up, he strikes out with one out. So now you've got two outs, Arenado strikes out. Boom, inning over. In the eighth inning, you've got, that's the one that you mentioned, Newt Bar walks, Pujols singles, you've got two on, one out. Goldie strikes out, Arnado strikes out. There's your series. Exactly. Like that, that's it. And so whether that was Pools hitting second, batting fifth, it, it didn't much matter when your three, four guys just weren't going to get anything done. And Donovan didn't play well in this series either offensively. So when you look at that, whether it was constructed as a 3-4-5 or a 2-3-4, I think it was going to be a problem for the Cardinals' offense either way. And it's really unfortunate because you don't. the Cardinals are nowhere close to this position without the outstanding plays of Goldschmidt Arenado. I was looking 100%. at baseball reference, top overall war in the National League. Well, that's Goldschmidt Arenado 1-2. And uh, Fangraphs, their top three behind only Manny Machado. Like These are guys that you want in that spot. So for both of them to go so cold, I thought it was really unfortunate 
passion for Cardinals fans, I think it makes this series even more harder to swallow. Yeah, and I'm with you guys. I mean, I said all year long that 3-4 was what was going to settle the Cardinals' fate. Goldie and Arnauto were going to determine how far you go or send you home packing, and, and that's what happened in this series. They go cold at the wrong time, and you end up getting knocked out in the first round. And to your question, is this a trend for the Cardinals in the postseason, or is this just a fluke since they're 1-9 in their last 10? I think it's a trend, and I think part of it is there's a lack of power in the lineup. Slug, baby, slug, and they did not slug in this series. They had just, what, two extra base hit or one extra base hit in this series? The homer and then the double from Newt to lead things off. So there was no power to be talked about in this series, and to me it comes down to a lack of, I'm going to say lineup depth, and I know some people may push back against that, but how many guys in that lineup did you fear in this series? I mean, going into it, Albert, Goldie, and Arnato. So you have a solid 2-3-4, as we're talking about here. But like when I look at teams like the Dodgers, they have a solid one through like six, seven. I, I, and in my opinion, that's where the Cardinals have lacked in this since 2019. Like I was looking at this 2019 lineup. There's like one guy I fear in this lineup, and that's Paul Goldschmidt. I guess you could argue Ozuna at the time. 2020, I'm looking at that playoff lineup. Carlson's hitting fourth in that lineup. The only guy you feared there was Goldie. And you look at 2021 and their playoff lineup, you feared Goldie, O'Neill, and Arnato. They've never had a solid like one through six. And I understand that you could say, well, Edmund had a really good year and Donovan had a really good year, but they're not guys that strike fear into a lineup. When I look at what the Dodgers threw out there in the wild card game, Bet, Seeger, Turner, Turner, Smith, Pollock. They're also paying $250 million for that lineup. But. I get it, but I mean, what were we talking about earlier? That expectations are rising in the National League with how these teams are building. And now the goal is to avoid the wild card series. I'm with you. And I'm not saying they got to spend $250 million. I'm just trying to think of how they get there. I, like that, I agree. That's where it gets really difficult is like we're trying to search for answers right now and then kind of project forward on what it means for the offseason. What does it mean for the way that they construct this roster? I don't think that the Cardinals are ever going to be able to match up one-for-one lineup-wise with the way that the Dodgers have constructed their lineup. Can you be more like the Phillies? Because they were able to come through with some pretty big hits in this series. Can you be more like the Braves? I know that's tough as well. They had an unbelievable development system that ended up giving them all of these guys you really need Jordan Walker to be what they projected him to be. You need Nolan Gorman instead of being on the bench for you next year. If that guy's going to be a big part of their plans, he needs to be a part of the lineup. You mentioned that slug. Well, Nolan Gorman is the guy that projects to be a potential 35 home run hitter at second base. So as we project forward here, Katie, how do you project these, these rookies that came on strong for the Cardinals this year? Like, Newt, Yepes, Donovan, uh, Gorman, you could throw into that mix as well. At least for Newt and Yepes, they were two of the guys that actually did come through in this series. What did you learn about that group this year, and how do you think it influences what the Cardinals are planning to do in the offseason? Yeah, I thought Newport and Yepes did exactly what they were supposed to do. And Newport's slugging percentage has gone up way up in the second half. I do think this is Newport. We're seeing Newport's career trajectory a lot higher than we imagined it would be. And it's it's good for a guy like that to be valuable so defensively and turn his offensive production around as well. I think when you're looking at the Cardinals, they pride themselves on situational hitting and they have the guys to get away with that, which is why they, you know, in the regular season, don't necessarily need a lot of thumb, <laughs> right? Because you have guys like Edmund and Donovan who can get on base and get over and score. That only works again, guys, if you get guys on base in the first place. So the Cardinals situational hitting approach didn't really work out because there was no runner to bat over most of the time. I think in the playoffs, we see it now. Here's what playoff teams have. They have solid to dominant starting pitching, and they got a lineup that can hit. I understand the value of stolen bases, situational hitting, bunting in the uh, regular season. I think you win a lot of games that way if you're a team that like the Cardinals. But in a best of three series, you got to have guys that can leave the park. So I do think it's really important that Nolan Gorman develops a little bit more in the offseason. Again, this is a rookie, not even played a full season. 
He'll have plenty of chances to prove himself. Yepes, I think, is a guy that can bring a lot of pop. It'll be a big offseason for him. Cardinals, I think, can continue to progress. But if you don't have that that slugging, that pop, that heavy heavy bats, you're not really building, building, yourself for, building yourself up for success in the playoffs. And that's where I am. I, I'm not saying they had to go spend $250 million in the offseason to find that because I, I think Gorman's going to be a good player. I think he just ran into that rookie wall and then had trouble finding out or finding the adjust, the next adjustment that needed to be made against Major League Pitching. I think Carlson is going to be better than what we saw this year. I don't think he's just a platoon bat. I, I think he's better, and I think Jordan Walker's going to be a stud. So right there, I'm adding three more guys to the lineup that provide some more depth. Now, I do think they are going to have to add somebody to the outfield mix in the offseason that can help with this offense. It just, when you say is it trend or is this just a fluke, I think it is a trend. They are not hitting for power in the postseason. I, the average thing, I, I know you mentioned the average earlier, they're 10th out of the 11 teams mm-hmm. in the playoffs in the in this stretch. Like the average thing isn't that big a deal to me because I expect average to be down in the playoffs. It comes down to slugging, and that's what the playoffs are built on now. If you're not hitting for power, you're not going anywhere, and that has been the common struggle for the St. Louis Cardinals, and that's where guys like Carlson, who I think can project to be about a 20-home run guy, Gorman can project to be a 30-home run guy, Walker could be a 30-30 guy, it sounds like. So I think it comes down to developing some of those guys and then finding one more piece outside the organization that can be a supplemental piece. I'm not saying it has to be Aaron Judge, which I've seen on the text line popping up a lot. I'd be in too, (laughs) but they just need to find somebody that's going to be a supplement piece that can come in here and be like a solid number five or number six hole hitter for you. How much does it matter what the batted ball data was from this series? Because it was pretty good for the Cardinals. It was really good, but uh, and the expected batting average on Arenado alone, I don't know how you walk out of that one for eight. Uh, But again, this is a sport based off results, not metrics. So I understand. I also understand in the regular season that Cardinals performed better than most National League teams in most offensive categories. But, I mean, I'll take one look at the text thread right now. How they mattered in the, or how they performed in the regular season does not matter if you are bounced into games at home and become the first division champion in baseball history to not play in a division series. That's not ideal. God, I, I hadn't thought about that until you just said it. That's not good. Um, Katie, do you know what their expected batting average was in this series of two games? Here, let me hear it. 255. Do you know what their actual batting average was? It's definitely below 200. 185. <laughs> Do you know what their expected slugging percentage was in this series? Based Ooh, on all of the batted up. ball data that we saw in the two-game set, the expected slugging percentage was blank. Tell me. 440. Their actual slugging percentage was 230. I, listen, I'm with all of you guys on the text line right now that says their offensive performance was unacceptable. You cannot go out like that. I'm totally with all of you. And I'm here for all the changes you want to talk about. You want to go get Aaron Judge? Let's talk about it. You guys want to trade all of the... I'm in. Like let's, We can talk about all of that in the offseason. And I am with you, Tanner, that this is a trend. And also, I'm having a tough time squaring my mind around the fact that they might have just got super unlucky in a two-game series where weird stuff happens. And so I keep coming back to the lesson that Tanner mentioned earlier, which is... Hey, win 100 games next year, avoid the wild card round, and now you don't have to deal with the small, crazy sample size numbers that can take place over a three-game wild card series. Cardinals in the wild card, they do not get along. Ooh, to say the least. All right, coming up in 15 minutes, 65780 is your covered service text line. We'll get into some questioners for Katie from the text line, so get those in now. We'll get into those coming up at 1245, but next. What does Adam Wainwright's future hold for the Cardinals? We know that Albert and Yachty are retiring there seems to be at least a question as to whether or not Wayno will follow them. 
And also, what do we do with this Nolan Arenado opt-out? I don't think we have to worry about it, but we'll hear from Katie on that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I don't, I'll tell you this, I don't like not pitching in a playoff series. And so you could take that one of two ways. You could take that as it's been a good run, or you could take that as, as motivation to not, never let that happen again. That was Adam Wainwright after the game on Saturday. I kind of giving a hint as to what his plans are for the offseason. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. We've got Katie Wu of The Athletic joining us in studio for the rest of the hour. Katie, let's start there. Adam Wainwright, he is up in the air right now. We know Albert and Yachty are both gone. They're both retiring. They are completely done. They never wavered on that, never once. Is Adam Wainwright going to be back next year in your mind? You know, this is purely speculative, BK, but I I do think Adam Wainwright will be back pitching next year. I just think he's left too much on the table, and I don't think he's the kind of guy that wants to go out the way that he did, especially when, for the most part, in 2022, up until September, he was the Cardinals' best pitcher right up there with Michaelis. I think that Adam firmly believes that he still has something to prove, and if we've heard this for nearly two decades with Adam. He really likes when people doubt him, and he feels like he can reinvent himself when there's something to prove, and I think after this season, the way that it ended, not towing the mound in a wild card game, in a postseason game, when all year long he's projected to be your number one guy, I think that really set something under him. I think it lit another fire, and I would not expect him, I would not be surprised at all, really, to see him back in 2023. How difficult are these negotiations going to be, though? Because we saw, what was this, two years ago, coming out of the 2020 season, where it was kind of like a, oh, maybe he's flirting with other teams. Maybe mm-hmm. San Diego is a team that would consider him. And it was the same thing with Yachty at the time. It was like, oh, we're, we're not really sure if Yachty's going to be back. Maybe he goes to the Yankees. Is this going to be one of those where it's right. like, hey, the Cardinals are going to say we're willing to go to $10 million and not a dollar more. And Wayno, you can either take that or leave it. We want you back here. But based on the way that the season ended, we can't put all of our money into you. We've got to go out there and do other things as well. we got to replace Yachty. we got to get a bat that can replace what Albert was for us last year. Is this going to be a tough negotiation between the Cardinals? and the, it, This is all projection, of course, but is it going to be tough, do you think, between the Cardinals and Wayno this offseason? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I, it's, We've seen it again in, right in the coming into the 2020 season, like you said, BK, and both Adam and Yachty were close to going somewhere else because of the negotiations. So keeping in mind what the Cardinals need to replace, what their offseason needs are, I mean, I think you need another bat. What, what Tyler O'Neill's status in the organization Oof. is remains to be seen. Probably need another shortstop because I highly doubt Paul DeYoung is on this roster next season. I'd be very surprised if he was. Uh, And you can put a lot of faith in Andrew Kisner, but you're going to need another catcher. You can't start with just one catcher. And I do not think Yvonne Herrera is ready quite yet. So I think it comes down to what the front office really thinks they need to focus on and how much that's going to cost or the projection of that cost. I think they'll make out of respect to Wainwright and what he's done for this organization and the mutual respect the two parties have for each other. I think that will make the negotiations less contentious. The Cardinals are open to bringing him back, of course. That should come as no surprise. But I think it will just depend on what Wainwright thinks he is worth, what the Cardinals are willing to pay for. And if they can come to a mutual conclusion, I would hope for Cardinals fans that it doesn't take too long to figure something out if he does come back. I wouldn't imagine it be being too contentious, but you never know. I I think he's back, and I think the I don't think the negotiations are going to be difficult between the sides. I I, I think they're going to work something out. 
I, I can't see the Cardinals letting Adam Wainwright walk. A franchise player like that, they'll settle on whatever deal they need to. And he's on the pursuit of 200 wins. He's only five away, so you've got that as a... <clears throat> Sales pitch. Uh, and then also he's going to be chasing, I think, is it Jesse Haynes for number two overall in Cardinals wins in franchise history. So that right there is enough motivation for him to come back. I think that's enough motivation for the Cardinals to say you're chasing another record. And we had our record in Albert and in uh, his 700 home runs. You had Yachty break the record with Wayno this past season. If they want something to kind of lean on next year as a record breaker, you've got Adam Wainwright chasing 200. And I, I don't know if five wins matters. It will probably in some voters' minds. But I think yeah. the moment he gets 200 wins, he's a Hall of Famer. So I, I see this being one of those where I think he should be back. I think Wayno wants to come back, and I think the Cardinals want Wayno back. I think they'll get it done, and I think it'll be sooner rather than later. I'll play my role. Oh, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> His last six starts, he went 28 innings, allowed 44 hits, 11 walks, and 23 earned runs. Opposing hit hitters, drive, man. I'm here. I'm with you. Opposing hitters bat, uh, hit 360 against him. Am I allowed to be a little nervous about? The prospect of him coming back and then saying, okay, our rotation's fine. Now we've got uh, Montgomery, Flaherty, Michaelis, Mats, and Wayno, And we're going into the year, and we're going to ride those five guys, and we've got obviously some depth that has been built up now behind them with the AAA guys that could potentially come in. Palante can go back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen if necessary. Am I allowed to be a little nervous about that, or is that me being a worrywart? Well, considering I honestly forgot for a second that Steven Matz was coming back in the rotation when he was signed for four years, um, I think you're allowed to be a little nervous. Just, I mean, look, let's break it down pitcher by pitcher. Miles Michaelis coming into the last year of his contract in 2023, that's the guy that you are. He has showed everything you would like to see from him and more in 2022. I think one of the Cardinals' best players, most consistent players all year long. Jack Flaherty, I know. We never used to have an injury concern or injury argument about him. We do now. I think the way he ended his season, uh, another guy that didn't touch the mound in the playoffs. How surprising. If you would have oh. told me in the beginning of 2022, Adam Wainwright and Jack Flirty don't pitch in the playoffs. I'm, I would have said it ended kind of like this, actually. Yeah, I'm sure I'd be like, oh, that I would understand. I get it. Um, I, I think he'll be fine. I think we'll start to see a little bit more of the resurgence of Flirty that Cardinals fans have hoped to see for the last year. Montgomery. I like the fit. He's back for another year. Matt's, as I've been reminded, back. And you would hope that those two lefties can, I mean, both showed some really good flashes of potential. Matt's, you just really hope he can stay healthy. I think that's a really good core foundation. I do think the Cardinals have a history of not having enough starting pitching depth. So if you bring Wayne right in, there has to be other options. That's why I know it'd be a little weird to have three lefties in the rotation, but I would hope the Cardinals look to extend and bringing or bringing back Jose Quintana for another year. Would hope that Dakota Hudson goes and pitches somewhere I in the offseason. See it happen. Man, you're such a hater on Hudson. You already wrote man, him off. I, I mean, where's he fit into that rotation? He's not There's, in the rotation. He's a bullpen arm. Right. Okay. He's a swingman. So you bulk up your swingman. I'm swing fine man. with that. I got no issues with that. Jake Woodford can still be your swingman. Well, Jake Woodford, maybe we'll get some respect one day. <laughs> Woodford. Um, but there has to be more, there has to be significantly more options in bringing Wayne right back. And worst case scenario, Okay, you go to one of those swingman. Best case scenario, you have that one, two, three of Wainwright, Michaelis, Flaherty that you've projected for years now. You finally get. I just think you're being a worry war if I'm being honest. Oh, you you feel good about that rotation, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, better than where like Libertor <laughs> okay. might be in like as the number five starter and that too. They bank on. Well, yeah. I mean, it's okay. It's well, see, than I what just it was listed a better. I just listed a better alternative than what you're thinking. Touche. Katie, what are the the biggest needs for this team going into the offseason? Like as as currently constructed, what are the biggest needs that they need to address at some point before opening day 2023? 
catching depth for sure. And this is no knock on Andrew Kisner. I don't think he's Kisner is getting enough credit for the difficulty of the position he's he had to play this year. I'm not talking about catching. I'm talking about having to be ready at a moment's notice with Yachty's sporadic absences, with Yachty's injury for six weeks. And some days Yachty would show up and he just would be, I mean, he's 40 years old, been catching for two decades. If he shows up and his legs hurt, there's not much you can do about it. And it'd be Kisner, okay, get up, get in there, get ready to go. So he always had to be prepared like he was starting every single day. So I, I think the Cardinals warrant giving Andrew Kisner a start to earn that catching role, starting catching role. I do think there needs to be some depth, maybe a uh, veteran guy that can come in, split time, maybe they do 60-40, Kisner 60, whatever veteran they get to kind of set the tone until Herrera is ready. That I think is important. I think it's important to address the middle infield. Edmund and Donovan, great combination. But like we talked about with Tanner, there needs to be a little bit more slug there. There's, again, some valuable free agent shortstops on the market this year. Not as deep as 2022 class, but there are some names that could be intriguing for the Cardinals. Again, Jose I don't Iglesias. see... Jose sounds great. Oh, there, there's that. Brandon Crawford, perhaps. He could be a Cardinal. Fits the Cardinal profile. That, that would be the most Cardinals move. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm so mad at myself for not thinking about this that. Is, I've been in the it. Jose Iglesias lane the whole time. No, it's that Brandon is Crawford. very much more <laughs> Cardinals 100% move. 100% Brandon Crawford's probably at the top of Moe's list. Oh, like God. Double circled, highlighted. This is the guy. Yep. But if you're looking at, at infield depth, you I think you find a more solidified shortstop. Again, I don't see Paul DeYoung's future in St. Louis much longer. There's no way. I know he has a guaranteed year in 2023, but there's no way they guarantee that and put him in trouble. AAA and pay that much money. And then I think you're looking at how the outfield is going to shape up. And you can come into spring training thinking maybe Jordan Walker can win this role. When you see his progression in the minors, you see him, he's a top prospect for a reason. I think it's okay to go into spring training with an opening in your outfield and maybe you hope this prospect can can win it over. But if you're unsure about Tyler O'Neill's future, like I am, if you're unsure about where Dylan Carlson fits in, I'm less unsure about that. I think Dylan Carlson will be just fine. And you want to see if Lars Newbar can win an outright job that's you can go into spring training with some outfield questions. I don't think you can do that with the shortstop or the catching position. Do you think they go offensive with the catcher position? Because that's where we've gone back and are, forth. Are there with, offensive catchers available? Well, there's the Contreras. There? There's Contreras, and that's the guy that we. That's when I mention offense, he's really the guy that I mean is Wilson Contreras. Because I like the idea of getting a defensive-minded catcher. Because I don't want to see them go with a full swing towards the offensive-minded guy when he went just from Yadier Molina. That's why I like Tucker Barnhart, Martin Maldonado, guys like that. that sure, good. they probably can't hit the ball very well, but they can at least give you solid defense. That's where I lean towards that catching position. He leans think, cheap. I think it's difficult because— I didn't want to say that, but yeah. I mean, what do we know about the Card— Everything we know about the Cardinals and how they value catching over the last two decades has come from one person. So, yes, you can say, oh, the Cardinals really value defensive catching. Well, yeah, they had one of the best defensive catchers to ever play the game. So I'm not quite sure how they value that position because they've never had to decide about it. So you can make the argument, yeah, they need an offensive catcher. You, BK, you're correct in saying there's not a lot out there. But if this is a team that values defensive in that position, defense in that position based on the last two decades and the success they've seen behind it, all that means is they have to find offensive upgrades either at shortstop or in the outfield. Katie, we're going to get some questions from the text line on the other side. Oh, no. Uh, they have a lot of questions for you. So we'll get to as many as we can. Rapid fire style. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you have any questions for Katie Wu, you can get them in right now. We've got her in studio for another 15 minutes. We'll do that on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
quick hitter style with Katie Wu, the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. You can read all of her phenomenal work over there. You should be subscribing. If you haven't yet, get ready for the offseason. This is when it goes into high gear once again. It's going to be a blast to be able to read her coverage over there. You can also follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Let's start with this one from the 314. Katie, what position do you believe is in Nolan Gorman's future? DH. Oh, but no, um, if Cardinals like their versatility, we saw them with that all season long. I would say they would like to make it a little bit better at second base. And he did make some significant strides at second base. But Gorman's real value will come as a DH. Do you think there's any chance of him try, or them trying him in the outfield? I do not. Not with Jordan Walker coming back up. Yes, that's what mistake. I've been saying the whole time. Uh, for the 314, do you believe that somebody like Carlos Rodon would be a realistic option for the Cardinals? They seemed to be interested in him at the deadline. He's going to cost a lot of money. And for that reason alone, I say no. Does he profile well? Would he be an, an asset to the rotation? Absolutely. He's getting paid this offseason, though. It's not by St. Louis. Do you believe, Katie, this comes from the 636, do you believe that the Cardinals will be in on Wilson Contreras? I think they'll call. I do think they'll call. I think that uh, when you think about how he's valued and perceived by the Molina family, very respected, I think that alone will warrant you a call. I'm not quite sure that they pull the trigger on it necessarily, but there'll be some interest. From the 314, do you believe that the Cardinals will show real interest in any of the top shortstops this offseason? No, we learned that last year. No, I don't. This year's going to be no different, even though they're actually out on Paul DeYoung this time around? Yeah, I, I could see them going. Uh, there's the top tier shortstops in the free agency class. There's the second tier. You can find the Cardinals in the second tier. So when you're saying second tier, are you talking about Dansby Swanson or are you talking about Jose Iglesias and Brandon Crawford? That's interesting because I think Dansby Swanson's top tier. Ooh, so okay. His I second know, half did not go well for him. No, it didn't. But I think overall, he's still going to get a significant amount of money. Uh, from the 314, what is Andrew Kisner's future with the Cardinals? Is he an actual starting uh, starting catcher for the Cardinals, or do they want somebody else to be in front of him? I think they'll start, and this could change, but just when you think about the available catchers, unless they trade for one, there aren't many that they can go pick up that would slot better than Kisner. So I think they could start 2023 with Kisner in front of the plate, again, with that veteran impact kind of mentor to split the time until Herrera is ready. But uh, Kisner, once again, has a tie, had chance to win the starting role come this spring, so we'll see how he does. Feelings aside, would you keep Q or Wayno? I'm not seeing a both option. Um, I, I think when you think about the... Look, I'm, I'm a Jose Quintana enthusiast. So I'll be the first to say it. But when you're thinking about overall impact with the organization, it's no question. It's Wainwright. Katie, if you had to save only two of the three, which would you save? Molly's, Nick's Pub, or Hammerstone's? Well, I've only been to Molly's. Oh, really? You've yes. never been to Nick's Pub? I have not. That's a rite of passage in St. Louis. You need to go to Nick's. Okay, well, I mean, I suddenly have a lot of free time, <laughs> so maybe I will. <laughs> so Molly's it is. Uh, from the 314, Katie, do you believe that Nolan Arenado will consider opting out? I do not. Um, I think the only thing that is maybe worth questioning or reconfiguring is that final year of his contract. But guys, he loves St. Louis. He's here for a reason. It'd be one thing if they didn't advance and he contributed, but he was one of the players that did not help contribute to their very short postseason run. I think he's there. I think he's there for the long run. From the 618, Katie, if the Cardinals are going to make a trade this offseason, who do you think will be the chips that they dangle in those trade talks? I think Tyler O'Neill has made himself expensable to a trade. Um, I'm not sure what they can get for Paul DeYoung at this point. Maybe you could build a package around him. And I think Matthew Libertor is tradable. 
Do you think Gorman has any chance of being traded this offseason? I do not. I don't think so. I think they value him so much still, and I think that they're willing to give him a little bit of a grace period, so I don't think yet he is tradable. If he comes out and he rakes, then he's definitely not. From the 314, do you think that the Cardinals will change the role for Jeff Albert? <laughs> Good question. Um, I don't know, BK, we're just talking about this. Turner Ward is really respected. Albert's process, Jeff Albert's process as developing talent in the minor leagues and that approach has it's really it's really showed that it's paid off. It showed dividends like it works in the minor leagues. We haven't seen overall success offensively. We've seen bits and pieces. It helps the Cardinals have two of the best hitters in the league in their heart of the order. I'm not quite sure. I think what Turner Ward has done to stabilize the the offense at the major league level has helped a lot. So I think we'll see after coming into 2023 if Albert's role can be reconfigured. From the 618, Katie, if the Angels called you tomorrow, called the Cardinals tomorrow, and said, we will trade you Mike Trout for a reasonable package, do you think that the Cardinals would actually do it? No, I don't. Cardinals are, look, love it or hate it, they're very methodical. They are very, like, John Mozeliak is not someone that panics and blows things up. He has a process. He is very calculated. He never gets too high, never gets too low. I don't see the Cardinals making a huge blockbuster trade because he is so, like, particularly crafted how the next few years will play out in terms of player development and team control. So I don't see that happening. Do you think they should? I mean, it'd be fun to write. It'd be fun to write. But for now, no. I do think the Cardinals have such a strong core still from where they are position players, the guys coming up in their farm system. I still think they're plenty good for next year. From the 314, do you think that Jordan Walker will break opening day with the Cardinals in the big leagues next year? Yes, let's do it. Let's do a hot take. You can play this back like when I was right about Corey Dickerson. I we did, did play back for I it. know, I was great. Um, I do think Jordan Walker breaks camp. If he has a good camp, if he can show defensively, he can play in the outfield. Maybe a little bit of question. We've seen the Cardinals with their prospects value offense a little bit over defense lately. If Walker can show that he can mash in spring, he's on that opening day roster. Do you think we see Mason win at some point next year? Yes, I do. As long as he, I mean, he's a really, really special talent defensively, and he's hit those power numbers seemingly out of nowhere in double-A. Get him some time in triple-A to adjust, but if the Cardinals need some utility depth in the second half, I could see Mason win getting the, the nod. Cardinals starting outfield going into opening day of next year is blank. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Carlson in center. Lars Newbar in right. Jordan Walker in left. Interesting. It can you- be, and the best thing about that lineup is minus uh, Walker in center. That can be interchangeable. Do you think Dylan Carlson is going to figure it out? I do. I think Dylan Carlson showed too much promise in 2020 and 2021 to really let a bad second half batting from the left side deter him. I think he's still one of their best defenders. He's speedy. He's smart. He has the power. Maybe he makes the choice to step aside from switch hitting. Maybe that would help him. But I don't see Dylan Carlson's future being a platoon player. The final question that I've got for you, Tanner, you can let me know if you've got anything. The most expensive contract that the Cardinals sign this offseason or trade for this offseason will be at what position? Oh, man. I don't know. I don't really think they're going to spend a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Shortstop. I think shortstop, but because I think this a second tier shortstop like we talked about is still going to cost significant cash. Do you think they'll go get a big bullpen arm this offseason? Not the Drew Verhagen? I think they're going to put their money on Ryan Helsley. He's due for a significant first or a first year of arbitration raise. 
think that's all I got for you. Okay. That was a lot, you guys. I felt ready to go. Katie, this has been awesome. People can follow you on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. They should be following over on The Athletic as well. I'm sure there's going to be some kind of end of season press conference at some point this week. I don't know when that will take place, but I'm sure you'll have all of the coverage over on The Athletic. Thanks for doing this with us all season. It's been outstanding. Enjoy the brief time off that you have for the next like month or so. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks guys. Too many goodbyes into such a short time, but you do such a fantastic job and I appreciate every season going on with you guys. Peloton, let's go. This holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes from running to cycling to yoga Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.